This is Radio Influence. Football fans, it's time to go on the record for this week's matchups in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, T.J. Reed. Well, here we go with another December edition of the only digital radio show devoted exclusively to underdogs. We are back in. We're in the holiday spirit. How festive are we going to be? We're going to find out as things unfold. It is Three Dog Thursday, and here he is. Back with us for another edition is senior handicapper, VegasInsider.com. Shopping maven extraordinaire. Do you have a list? Are you checking it twice? Here's Kevin Rogers, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, back with us on Three Dog Thursday. Good to have you, sir. Good to talk to you again as we hit the midway point of December and uh, we get college football back in our minds. Yeah, we will get some bowl games and get to that in a moment. Uh, last week, you and I agreed on those Carolina Panthers who did come through against the Minnesota Vikings. I also had the Eagles. They win the game. They lose Carson Wentz for the rest of the year with a knee injury. So I come off a two-for-three week. You were able to get one of those NFL doggies last week. And now, as you mentioned, we've got some college bowl games that we're going to get to. And the NFL game's taking on more and more significance with the games coming uh, this weekend, not the least of which is that Pittsburgh-New England game, which some are saying uh, winner could be a Super Bowl team. Although the Dolphins handled the Patriots on Monday night, and that shook up, I'm sure, uh, not only the New England Patriot team, but it shook up the Pats fans to see that. Or maybe they'll look at it as an aberration. But anyway, that's a big game when we start talking uh, NFL. Hey, I I wanted to make mention uh, the Army-Navy game last week. Such a great traditional game. Army wins again with a late touchdown, uh, 14-13. That's back-to-back wins for Army. Kevin, I don't know if you got to check much of that out at all, much less uh, watch the game, but at least the highlights. Game being played in the pouring snow in Philadelphia, kind of a picturesque setting there, and Army pulls the upside. I mean, this is what's fun about college sports and college football. You had a game in the elements, the big rivalry, and Army won again. They hadn't won for 14 years, and now they've won the Army-Navy game two years in a row. This is why we love college sports. Well, and Army also, uh, you know, they've been down for a long time, and now they're back to being, you know, somewhat of a respectable football program and you look at navy the last two years you know they've uh they've dropped off a little bit they had that lost temple in the american championship last year and now navy obviously didn't play in the american title game this year so not i don't want to say a changing of the guards necessarily uh with these two schools but it is nice you know when there's a little more competitiveness within that rivalry yeah no doubt army had not won back-to-back games since the early uh, 1990s. And for all the service academies, they all uh, end up going to the postseason. Uh, as it turns out, uh, Navy will host Virginia in a in a bowl game. Army also uh, in a bowl game as well as Air Force. So uh, it's good for the service academies that they are still around. And now we're, we're about to get to the bevy of bowl games. Uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and transition to that because we do get some bowl games this weekend starting on Saturday. First of all, just give me a general comment. I mean, I know for what you guys do at Vegas Insider with the information everywhere, that's a significant deal. But to me, I've been harping on this for over a decade. There are just too many of these games, and it dilutes the product. I think it cheapens it for fans and fan bases. They become accustomed to going all the, to all these bowl games that aren't on New Year's Day. I, I, I just think it's too much, too much excess. Do you agree with that, with too many bowls as the, as the barrage begins this weekend? 
Yes, I do. I mean, I'm putting together a piece for uh, the the bowl confidence piece where you go 39, your most right. confident pick, all the way down to one. And I was just looking at all the matchups, and I had a lot of problems trying to put that together simply because I'm looking at these matchups and I'm saying, I don't know who's motivated. I, I still maintain, I've said this for years, if you ever ask me what the hardest thing I think about handicapping is or the hardest detail, I think are neutral site games. I think are the hardest games to handicap if it's March Madness, if it's early season college basketball, if it's these bowl games, because you take out that home field factor and you don't really know what you're going to get with these teams playing on a different field. Now, as far as you know, going back to the bowl confidence, I'm saying I'm handicapping out of 39 games not taken in the national championship, but the 39 scheduled games, 37 are exhibition games. You have 37 games that mean absolutely nothing, and then you have right. two games that mean something, and then the third, which will be the national championship. So you're saying to yourself, USC plays Ohio State uh, in the Sugar Bowl. Who's going to get up for that game? It's a very good game to name teams, but it's easy to say, you know what, if you're whichever team, eh, it doesn't really matter to me. Whatever happens, happens. And uh, if we win, great. If not, I go to the NFL or, or whatever the case is. <laughs> it, it, there just isn't. See, the difference, at least with March Madness, is you know you're playing for something. Even if you're a 16 seed against right. a one, you still have a chance to advance, even if you're not going to win. This, it doesn't matter what you do. So there's way too many games. You know, they want to try to stuff the college football down your throat. But, you know, in a sense, I think I feel better for the MAC schools and the Conference USA and the Sunbelt schools because it gives them another opportunity to be showcased. If you're a middle-of-the-road ACC or SEC team, what do you care about playing in your FSU, even the Independence Bowl? Or some of these bowl games, I mean, absolutely nothing. Like, that's just, I don't know. You're not going to have a 24-team college playoff. I understand it's not going to happen, but it's just too much. I mean, you're 6-6, six and six, you get in the bowl game. It's just ridiculous. I still think the epitome of this, and this has been about three or four years ago, was when Illinois and UCLA played each other in the bowl game both had losing records because Illinois had gotten an exception at 5-7 and seven to go into a bowl game. UCLA had lost the Pac-12 title game and had already fired Rick Neuheisel before the Pac-12 title game, yet still qualified for the title game. They lost that, and they had a losing record. Ron Zook had also been fired by Illinois. You had Illinois and UCLA playing in a bowl game, both with losing records, both with head coaches fired. If you need any other neon billboard, there are too many bowl games. It was that situation back about four or five years ago uh, when that all went down. So, uh, yeah, I I understand. I get it. Um, And again, there are, I mean, for UCF, we've talked about them throughout the year. Uh, For them, they have a chance at a perfect season. Like you said, going against a big boy, a Power Five, an SEC team. And if they get that win, you're talking about memories for a lifetime to be 13-0, and win the conference title, beat an SEC team. They can never take that away from you, even if you didn't get to play in the college football playoff. Short of that, you might have a memory here or there playing in a Rose Bowl, an Orange Bowl, a Fiesta Bowl, a spectacular play, but mo- most people aren't going to remember these games, uh, by and large, two or three years from now. You're right. You'll remember now the semifinal games and the championship game. Uh, much more so. So I'm I'm on board with you there. Now, that being said, part of our task is to come up with underdogs, and you and I are both going to do that here with a couple of bowl games from this weekend. So where where do you want to begin with the onslaught of the 39 bowl games? Which one do you want to begin with for this weekend? 
Well, with all that being said and us destroying the whole bowl system, let me start with the New Mexico Bowl. And I like <laughs> Marshall. And uh, they are facing Colorado State in the New Mexico Bowl coming up on Saturday. And both these teams came in with similar records. However, though, Marshall, down the stretch, their last two games, they lost by two and one point. Okay, two points and one point. So, obviously, they were right there in the last two games. Those swing their way. Who knows? Maybe they have a nine-win season. And this is a Marshall team that was 5-0 and against the spreads and underdog this year. They're an underdog against Colorado State, a team that, I'm not going to say had high hopes, but at least, you know, there was a the potential of them winning the Mountain West this year, and who would have thought Fresno State would have come out of nowhere, and obviously Boise State ended up winning it. But you had, you know, Fresno State kind of came out of nowhere, where Colorado State, you know, wasn't exactly the team that people thought. And, again, it goes back to motivation. Who's motivated going into these games? I just think that Marshall – down the stretch, you know, since they closed with two close losses, I don't think that they want to finish with three straight losses. Also, Colorado State lost three of their final four games down the stretch. So I think Marshall here getting some points is worth a look. All right, so we'll take a look at that one in the New Mexico Bowl, getting the five and a half, the Marshall thundering herd out of Conference USA. Uh, I will make mention, too, I think I did say that Air Force was in a bowl game. They are actually not in a bowl game, but Navy and Army are coming out of the service academies. Army playing uh, San Diego State, but that's not coming until next weekend. So out of the games uh, this weekend, I am anxious um, uh, here to take a look at a couple of them. One of them is in Orlando, the AutoNation Cure Bowl. I'll get the sponsor right. Um, this this bowl game had an upset a year ago. UCF was in this bowl game a year ago as kind of the home away from home game, uh, and they were beaten by Arkansas State decisively in that opening weekend bowl game, and, and it dropped their season to a six and seven season. They at one point were six and four. The turnaround off of zero and twelve. Scott Frost first season. They lost the bowl game to Arkansas State. Well, now in this case, you've got Georgia State and Western Kentucky. You've got the Sun Belt and Conference USA going head-to-head. And both of these teams have struggled at the end of the year. Uh, in specific, both of them losing games at the end of the year. Uh, Georgia State, though, an interesting story. They've only been playing big-time Division One FBS college football since 2013. This is their second-ever bowl game appearance. I think they may be more motivated than a, a Western Kentucky team that lost three of its final four games and finished six and six. Western Kentucky also blown out by Florida International in the final game uh, of the of the regular season. Uh, you you make you make great mention. You don't know what you're going to get in these games. Sometimes with a long layoff, two, three, four weeks, you don't know who's going to play well. Uh, Georgia State. Uh, has a quarterback, a Manning, Kevin Rogers, but it's not Peyton Manning, it's not Eli Manning, it is Connor Manning, who is their quarterback, who's had a pretty good year. Um, they they have a, a receiver in Penny Hart that can make some plays. Western Kentucky's got some experienced players, a good quarterback in Mike White, uh, but I, I just I like Georgia State getting six and a half points here in this neutral field game in Orlando. Give me uh, give me the Panthers of Georgia State. To pull the upset against the toppers, the hilltoppers of Western Kentucky, I will take the six and a half points uh, for the Cure Bowl um, in that one for this weekend. And, and we'll get some more interesting bowl games next week on Three Dog Thursday. The games and the matchups get a little bigger, a little better there with the bowls. I also want to make mention, Kevin, that we'll talk more about the Army Navy game 
a little bit later on. Price Atkinson will be here. He's the host of the Yards and Stripes podcast from our friends at Radio Influence. Does a great job and was at the Army-Navy game, was right there at field level as all of it unfolded. Nobody talks service academy football like Price. And also later on in the show, uh, Chris Landry will be here from the Landry Football Podcast. Uh, Chris does a great job talking from the coaching and scouting perspective. He's got a lot of insight into the coaching carousel that's going on in college and in the NFL for the stretch run. So I look forward to talking to Chris Landry from Landry Football Podcast later on in the show. Um, but, you, you know, you make a great point just one more time here that for a lot of these schools, you don't know where the coach is maybe left. In some cases, uh, you get academic situations at the end of the semester. They have a four or five week layoff. When we start getting to those New Year's Day games, much less the college football playoff games, you really don't know after a month layoff or a five week layoff what you're going to get. Right. Well, and also, too, the other point, besides the coaches leaving, I mean, you have that situation, you know, even on Saturday, Willie Taggart is gone from Oregon. They play Boise State in the Las Vegas Bowl. He's now gone to Florida State. So you wonder how Oregon is going to respond. But also, we're now seeing this new trend like we saw last year. Leonard Fournette sat out the bowl game. Christian McCaffrey sat out the bowl game. And understandably, Fournette was a little more banged up than McCaffrey. McCaffrey said, I'm going to the NFL. What do I have to play in the Sun Bowl for? It doesn't mean anything. So you wonder what kind of other star players moving forward as we get closer to the bowl games late December, post-Christmas, will say, you know what? I'm going to be a top 10 pick. Let me start training. What do I have to waste my time here and mm. risk injury? So Could that's happen. another factor, too. Good point. And remember, it was Jalen Smith, right, the Notre Dame linebacker, who ended up uh, suffering the horrible uh, knee and ankle injury um, in the Fiesta Bowl game with Ohio State. He was a certain first-round pick, if not a top 10 pick, and ended up tearing his uh, – leg up and, and didn't play at all his first season and, and has only come on in the second half of his second season since that horrible injury. So injuries can happen at any time, but I can understand the lack of bowl risk. You, you mentioned the Independence Bowl with Florida State. Derwin James, who is an outstanding safety, one of the best defensive players upcoming in this draft, going to be a first-round pick. He's already said, uh, no thanks. I'm not playing in the Independence Bowl. I'm not risking injury. Already had previous knee surgery a year ago. Uh, he's not going to try it. So... Yeah, we'll see where that comes with uh, with some of the bowl games. All right, so Kevin, stand by. We've got some uh, guests coming up here uh, in the middle segment of Three Dog Thursday. Kevin will be back in a little bit to talk some NFL picks and prognostication as we continue. We look forward to talking NFL football uh, throughout Three Dog Thursday, throughout the month of December as we head towards the playoffs. Much more on the way. Stay with us. Fantasy football fans, listen up. Something brand new is here. It's called FanPlayoff.com, and its president and CEO is Rusty Walker. Well, TJ, you know, win or lose, good or bad, your fantasy football season is about to be over with. But for us, the real season, the playoff season, is about to get started. You can now play postseason NFL fantasy football throughout the playoffs absolutely free at FanPlayoff.com. How does FanPlayoff.com work? Get your friends and fellow league members and join either a three, four, or five-team postseason league. Then draft your roster from the 12 NFL playoff teams, just like you do before the regular season. These players will remain on your roster as long as the teams stay alive in the playoffs. Set your lineup each week and score as many points as you can. Whoever scores the most fantasy points at the end of NFL's biggest game is your league champion. And one more time, why FanPlayoff.com? Every play of every postseason game means something, all the way until a champion is crowned. Sign up today, get ready to form your league, draft your team in the regular season ends, and have the most fun you've ever had watching the playoffs. 
play free postseason fantasy football like never before at fanplayoff.com. The dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is T.J. Reeves. Three Dog Thursday does roll on. Oh, it has been far too long. Even though I listen to him still on all of his different interviews and, of course, on the Landry Football Podcast from our friends at Radio Influence and through the great job that he does with that show, I haven't gotten to talk to Chris Landry this football season. I'm going through Landry withdrawal right now. Good to have you. Good to talk to you again, sir. It's uh, it's getting crazy uh, now down the stretch with all the NFL games and, and a bunch of coaching changes in college and some coming in the NFL. How you been? Good to talk to you. Hey, it's great catching up with you again. It has been crazy. You know, this is the best time of the year in the NFL, and we've just gotten through the stretch run of college football uh, with everything kind of settling into where everybody's lining up to play in their bowl games and playoffs, and you mentioned the coaching stuff. It's just uh, it's the busiest time of the year. I don't know if it's the greatest time of the year, but it's, it's certainly uh, for coaches, but it's definitely the busiest, and uh, it's just uh, a lot going on uh, that that's kind of uh, interacting with one another. Okay, I, I could travel so many different avenues with you, but I only have a certain amount of time because you're busy. So let me hit you with a couple of different ones. Who who do you think out of the hires on the coaching carousel? I'm going to put the whole buffet, as I like to say, in front of you. Out of all the hires everywhere in college coaching, who did really well and why? Maybe it's a couple of them. Who did really well and why on the head coaching hire? Go ahead, sir. I like Florida with what Dan Mullen brings. Good coach. I think he'll he'll fix some of the problems that they've had on offense. And he's really good at getting the most out of his players. I like the fit at Nebraska with Scott Frost. Um, I, I think Jimbo Fisher will do really good things at A&M. It'll take a couple of years, but I think it's a really good hire. Those jump out at me uh, really well. But, you know, you take somebody like Florida State who loses Jimbo, getting somebody like Willie Taggart, who's a great recruiter and putting together a really good staff makes a lot of sense. So I think those jump out. Of course, there's a whole bunch of them in the SEC Chad Morris at Arkansas and um, Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State, I think will be good fits. But, um, you know, Chip Kelly at UCLA is another one that he'll get whatever is available there. He'll he'll have an impact, and he'll make them more relevant than they've been in quite some time. Sure. Back to Frost in Nebraska, and obviously I'm doing this show in West Central Florida. Uh, my co-host Kevin Rogers is down in South Florida, so we kind of kind of lean towards the Florida teams, uh, etc. What a story UCF has been! What a rise from an 0 and 12 season, as you know, Chris, a couple of years ago to a 12 and 0 year. Now Scott Frost is going to walk into a Nebraska situation where he's a former player, but they have been down for a while. What are the challenges? And he's bringing most of his UCF staff with him. What are the challenges that they have to get this turned around at Nebraska where there are mega expectations and they've been bad for a while? Well, I think it's kind of bringing people together. It's something that they've been fractured, I think, at Nebraska for some time. And you go through the Bill Callahan days and the Steve Peterson athletic director days where it really started to kind of be divisive and obviously bringing one of their own back is important. They're a very proud folk. Um, listen, Nebraska football is not what it was in the 70s and 80s when uh, you only had a few teams uh, on on the tube every week, and they were one of them that, that got their three or four national games a year, and they had the best facilities. 
Well, everybody has great facilities now because everybody's getting a lot of money from television and all the different packages. So it's tougher to recruit there. Uh, but I think that if you look at, say, Wisconsin as a program in the Big Ten, that is definitely what Nebraska is capable of being. It's not like they're in a juggernaut division in the Big Ten West. They're very capable of getting that program to where, let's say, Wisconsin is. And I think that's the challenge. I think fixing the offense and being um, a little more consistent there is going to be key. But doing that while putting together a really good defense. When Nebraska was great, the black shirts were great, mm. and uh, they've got to be able to do that. And what he did at Central Florida was great. You know, going up and down, it was a lot of fun. But being able to play good defense in the Big Ten is going to be pivotal. So how he meshes that offense with the defense is going to be interesting. Uh, you know, there were so many changes. It's a bizarre year in the SEC with a number of coaching moves that were made uh, in that conference. Tennessee is the one that has gotten the most national notoriety, and in a bad way, because the, the search at times was almost being done with a blindfold and pin the tail on the donkey. They end up, You like that. They end yeah. up getting Jeremy Pruitt, the, the former uh, Alabama defensive coordinator before that, was with Jimbo Fisher as a defensive coordinator at Florida State. What about that hire, the staff that he's putting together, and can Tennessee start to rebuild finally? Because, again, they've struggled in the SEC East for a long time. Yeah, they really have, and that's another place it's just gotten, you know, you go back to Philip Fulmer and the program started to, to slip, and he needed to be replaced. And now everybody's longing for those days because that was as good as it's been since. I think that Jeremy, for all the consternation they went through in the search, is a really good coach. I wouldn't put him quite in the category of Kirby Smart in terms of having as much experience and being quite as ready, nor is he inheriting as good a situation as Kirby did at Georgia, who was left in pretty good shape with Mark Rick. Um, But I do think there's some similarities. I think he's putting together a really good staff. He's an outstanding recruiter, which is so important at Tennessee. Although Middle Tennessee is growing, Nashville's like, you know, a mini Atlanta, um, and they've got more in-state players than they ever have been. It's still a state that you've got to cross borders into Carolinas, into Ohio, into Kentucky, into Georgia, um, and be able to recruit very well. And I think he's capable of doing that. But it'll take some time. Obviously, it was a disastrous year, not winning a game in conference That'll change, but but I think getting to 500 would be a really good positive start next year. It's going to all be rooted in recruiting, and how they're able to develop that talent, that's something that Butch Jones could not do very well. It's the voice of Chris Landry, the Landry Football Podcast on Radio Influence. You hear Chris on national radio, on Fox Sports Radio, and a lot of other outlets and interviews all over the South and everywhere. He's a former scout, former coach. We'd love his tape breakdown, the coaching insight, and also great sources, great information in terms of coaches and movement. Hey, just as a general comment, this is a really weird time right now for some assistants who may be tied to their previous job, like, for example, the Oregon assistants are tied to their current job until the bowl game by contract this weekend. We don't know for sure would Jim Levitt, the the defensive coordinator, leave and come to Florida State as their defensive coordinator. Will he stay at, at Oregon? They're tugging at him. There are other assistants at other programs that are also waiting, waiting to see if the school that, that uh, hired a new coach will keep them or will they march on somewhere else. It is really a weird time of year for the next two or three weeks in and around the bowl games for some college assistant coaches, right? It really is. And to 
make things more complex than ever before is this early signing period. So let's take a guy like Jim Levitt, who he finishes up his contract this Saturday, the 16th. So that works out. But what about the coaches that are coaching in bowl games that are beyond the you know window of the early signing day? So let's say you're coaching a bowl game on the 23rd or 24th. You're basically having to recruit at a school that you don't know you're going to be at, and, and, and that just you know basically, you know it, it is very very complex. Well, we never had that before because we were always shooting towards the February signing day. This is the big signing day. I mean, the twentieth, twenty second. Most of these guys will be signed, so it makes it very complex. So complex where you are and you don't know if you will be, and then where you're potentially going to. Uh, just trying to coordinate that is very difficult. There is no ideal way to prevent coaches from moving on and advancing themselves and taking care of themselves and, and their livelihood in a timely fashion. College football is just its the worst, and it's because you've got recruiting and you've got to get on to your next stop as quickly as you can and then you leave a program, it's tough. You know, Central Florida, it's a it's a good story that they're staying together. It's a great bowl game for them. You'd hate for those kids to not get the best effort to prepare, but it is very difficult. A lot of those guys end up going to Nebraska, but you know that they're going to give their best effort uh, for that job. But it is it is difficult to manage both, and we're seeing it more and more each year happening. But TJ, it's worse now with the early signing period. I, I don't disagree on that. I only have you again for a few more moments. I want to move to the NFL. We've already had one coaching uh, vacancy created with Ben McAdoo being deleted, as well as Jerry Reese, the general manager uh, with the Giants. The Browns moved quickly, got rid of uh, Sashi Brown, their director of football operations, who had a baseball background, made a quick hire in John Dorsey as the GM. Again, the NFL season will be in- ending in about three weeks, but we, we suspect there will be other coaching changes, some GM moves. Give me a reaction to what happened in Cleveland, just real quick, where they basically are giving Hugh Jackson a vote of confidence, yes, and they've already hired the GM quickly, maybe to get a jump on other teams that are looking for a GM. What do you think, Chris? Well, they really wanted to hire a good football guy that can evaluate talent. That was John Dorsey. John got let go in Kansas City, mainly due to some organizational issues and and probably some issues that he needs to confront uh, under under his staff at Cleveland, but it makes some sense there. Um, Hugh Jackson, I think, is getting the benefit of the doubt from the owner because the front office was so bad that I think they feel like that the biggest problem was front office not coaching. But I, I think that John Dorsey is going to have a say. If he feels like Hugh Jackson is not getting it done and is not the best fit, I think he'll have the owner's ear. So I, my guess is it's better than 50-50 that he'll be back and be evaluated next year, but who knows. But it's going to be an interesting offseason. You know, I don't know if Marvin Lewis survives in Cincinnati, mm. the Colts. I mean, you know, John Elway's not going to take the blame in Denver, so he may throw Vance Joseph under the bus. After the one, Bears, if I can interrupt you, after one yeah. year, could Vance yeah. Joseph be gone after one year? I think it's it's possible if you know he's trying to you know say we're going to fix it. You know, of course, he's basically admitting that he screwed up the hire a year ago, but. That has been, I don't know that it's going to happen, but it's out there. You know, the Bears are a situation. You know, you're you're very familiar with the Bucks situation, mm-hmm. I know. And now that's that's going to have to be evaluated by the Glazer boys and figuring out where they are. And, you know, they, they've got the right people. You, at this time of year, 
you're, you're trying to figure out how do we fix it and, and are the people in place to fix it or, or we know where the problem is and can these guys fix it if you feel comfortable then to me stability is important if you stability is always important but if you feel like you don't have the guys that can fix it well then what are you stabilizing i mean you know so it, it's why we have so many of these changes and we're likely to have some more uh, obviously in uh, black monday well, and it would be wild if Denver makes the move, but not un- after one year, it's not unprecedented. We saw Cleveland do it a few years ago. They had Rob Chizinski for one year, and again, it's, it may be part of their dysfunction. They got rid of him. We saw San Francisco do this two years in a row after Harbaugh. They they elevated Jim Tom Sulo. One year later, he's gone. They bring in Chip Kelly. One year later, he's gone. That that's not good for anybody, for the organization, for the fans, for coaches that want to come take the job. When they're seeing that kind of turnover that quickly, that can be a turnoff for coaches as well, it, right? It is. It is. And you know, even good organizations make a mistake. Uh, Ron Wolf fired Ray Rhodes after one year, and and, and it was an eight and eight season, <laughs> and he got a lot of heat. And, and I mean, I remember asking him. He said, "I knew it was a mistake." And I had to. I could not go down in that locker room and know that it's a mistake and just hold hold tight on it. I I think it's tough, but when you make a mistake, you got to own up to it. Uh, of course, he had the pedigree and the success to be able to survive it, but it does put a black mark on the GM to say, "Wait a minute," or an owner, like in the case of Jimmy Haslam, you made that move, and after a year, you realize that you're wrong. Well, that that says a lot about you. And of course, Jim Haslam. Look how many moves he's made. Mm. It feels like he's on the team since 2002 with all the moves. He's only been there since 2012. (laughs) He's made more moves in five years than the Steelers have made in their entire lifetime. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And you you have other examples of of coaches. I mean, Marty Schottenheimer, I know we're going back a little bit. He lasted one year in Washington. Mike Malarkey, who's having some success at Tennessee, was one year in Jacksonville. Shad Khan, the owner, came in and said, nope, one and done. I'm going to hire somebody else. So it it can the NFL, right, not for long is the initials, not for long. Sometimes it can be that way and maybe to your own detriment if if you're not sticking with it. Hey, before you go, we have fun with underdogs on Three Dog Thursday. You were saying to me just before our conversation began here green bay packers uh, as an underdog what's the what's the number the number right now uh with carolina has dipped down i think at this point to five either four or five rogers back for green bay green bay still with a pulse for the playoffs you think the packers might have something for the panthers this weekend i think they do carolina's a different type of team they're not great i mean they're okay at home they're not much better they they the team that travels well with the run game if Green Bay can hold up against their run game, I think that if Favre is back, I think they're a little more explosive on offense. You get Carolina playing from behind, that could be a problem. So let's look out for them. I'm, I, listen, I'm hearing everything that Rodgers is uh, is is healthy. So yep. um, I, you know that that's the key. Is you know if he if he's obviously moving this team with. With Rodgers, it's uh, it's it's really tough to match points with them. Well, and it's amazing because they were in trouble. I was there two weeks ago at Lambeau with the Buccaneers. Could have lost that game, won it in overtime. They were down the whole game to the Browns last week. Chris, you know this. Came back yeah. to win it. They win those two games. It keeps them alive right now in the NFC. I don't know that they activate Aaron Rodgers if they're eliminated and take the chance. They win those games in overtime. Now it's worth it to try, and here we go against a good Carolina defense. Let's let's see what happens, right? We'll see. We'll absolutely, see. I, I think they absolutely shut him down if they're if they're eliminated from the playoffs. There's no doubt about it. But 
you know, you get in, anything can happen, and you look at the consistency of which teams have played in the NFC, credit to Philadelphia, Minnesota, uh, nobody's looking at the quarterbacks and saying, I fear those teams. I respect, you know, you respect right. what they've done, but obviously with Wentz out, you're looking at uh, Case Keenum and you're thinking, you know, I, you could see a team well, like a New Orleans, like an Atlanta, like a Green Bay with a hot quarterback going there and, yep. uh, and win on the road. Maybe could. This man does a great job. The Landry Football Podcast. Again, find it on Radio Influence, on iTunes, on Stitcher. I love his insight. I love uh, the analysis, the coaching breakdown. It, it is a bizarre coaching carousel every year, it seems like, in December and January. This year will be no different. Listen, my friend, thank you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Let's watch some more exciting football, including some bowl games and some NFL. We appreciate it here on Three Dog Thursday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you and catching up with you soon. Keep up your great work and uh, look forward to talking to you again real soon. As we do roll on on the only digital radio show that's devoted to them, underdogs, how about the Black Knights of the Hudson? Talk about an underdog. Yet again, they pull off an upset in the Army-Navy game, as we were referencing earlier in the show. And let's call in a guy, I think it's fair to say, that is an expert on Service Academy football. Does a fantastic job on the podcast Yards and Stripes from our friends at RadioInfluence.com. Podcast also also available on iTunes, on Stitcher. Uh, You can check him out in those locations. Price Atkinson is back with me here as part of Three Dog Thursday. I could not miss out on an opportunity to talk with you about what had to be a phenomenal experience in Philadelphia at the Army-Navy game this past weekend. You were there, and I have to believe even a few days later, uh, you are still thinking and contemplating, did I see what I saw? What an amazing Saturday. I won't speak for you, though. Good to have you. Tell me about it. PJ, always great to be with you. Nobody loves talking doggies as much as I do <laughs> Three Dog Thursday. So, roof, roof. I love some doggies. I love Three Dog Thursday. Let's dispense with that, and let's get to the snow, because as I'm looking at a bunch of snow right here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, I see it right now, and I saw a whole lot of it on Saturday at Lincoln Financial Field. Let me tell you something. Saturday was one of those iconic, one of those moments that when you're at a sporting event and you realize you're never going to forget that moment, that event, that experience, that's what Saturday was. You know, for me, having been on the field for both the March-Ons to watch the Corps of Cadets come in first at 12.15, and then you see the Brigade of Midshipmen coming in and a steady snow that's coming down. It's cold. It's about 28 degrees. It's just, it, it's it's Army-Navy. What happens, It's it, the Saturday is set aside for the greatest rivalry in all of sport. And I know some people take issue with that. I'm sorry. I don't care. Pro, college. Whatever, Army-Navy is the greatest rivalry in all of sport. And to watch what we saw on Saturday, to be there in the snow, two teams that were not just playing for bragging rights and pride, because you know how much pride is on the line. Beat Go Army, beat Navy, and vice versa. That game was for the Commander-in-Chief trophy. And that is what the Service Academies, Air Force, Army, and Navy play for every year, is that Commander-in-Chief trophy, the chance to go to the White House. And that game was one of the few times that the Commander-in-Chief trophy has been on the line in the Army-Navy game. That was a spectacle that I'll never forget. Being right at that goalpost is is Mooring's field goal comes up just wide to the left. If they don't have two false start penalties on that final drive, Two false starts. I mean, they had three penalties in the four penalties in the game, four total. 
three of them came in the final quarter, all false starts, two on that all-important final drive that made it a 48-yard field goal in the driving snow instead of a 38-yard field goal. But I digress. Army wins 14-13, to first back-to-back wins in the series. It's 95-96. It was just something. It was just a spectacle. And to have been there, to see one of the top five, maybe top three college football games of the year, sure, only three passes were thrown, but who cares? You had teams that were fighting through blood and tears to win that game. It was amazing. It just, you, I, I'm still pinching myself days later. I can day. tell. You've given us so much chicken on the bone. I want to go back to the beginning while I only have you here for a few minutes. Uh, when the snow is pouring down pregame and they're showing it pregame on CBS and most of the country is buzzing, the internet and social media are buzzing, you just had the feel that this is going to be different. It's, it's not only the rivalry of Army-Navy, but this is going to take on special significance. Did you have that feeling a half hour, you know, 15 minutes before the game, this could be a special game? It's easy to say in hindsight, but you had, did you have it in the buildup, the feeling this could be a special game? Yeah, because Navy Navy was a more talented team. We knew that Navy had the most dynamic player that would be on the field for either team and Malcolm Perry, and he sure delivered the starting quarterback under center. And just his second career start, 250 yards. I mean, his first career start, he runs for, what, 290 against SMU. And his second career start uh, against, uh, against Army, he runs for 250. We knew that, but Army had so much momentum coming into the game you see the teams take the field in their brand new special uniforms the black knights wearing those mm. white uh uniforms to honor the 10th cavalry division you know the mountain unit from the snow uh, you know in the mountains coming from world war ii then you see the the, the naval academy wearing their blue you know blue angel themed uniforms and you get down to that army sideline and i was down there during pregame warm-ups you know just thir- less than 20 minutes before kickoff 30 minutes before kickoff and you just see the black knights in those white uniforms and i picked army before the game i said 27 23 i didn't think it would be a one-point game i mean just that was just incredible navy leads the whole way and then they cough it up at the end as Ahmad Bradshaw drives in with the longest drive of the game, puts it in with a one-yard touchdown run. But you could feel just something special was going to happen. I mean, it just it just had that feel. The snow was coming down. My feet were getting soaked. I could barely take pictures on my iPhone as I'm trying to record video. Still <laughs> shot. My fingers are freezing. The snow's melting on my phone. I can't touch the buttons. I'm trying to type and tweet. I couldn't do any of it because I was so cold, but I was still captivated by what my eyes were seeing on that field with kids that were just ready to leave it all on the line. Is this guy any good when it comes to talking Service Academy football? Price Atkinson with me for just a few more moments on Three Dog Thursday. Price hosts the Yards and Stripes podcast, Service Academy football, as part of Radio Influence's fleet of shows. Notice the Navy reference I snuck in for you there, partner. Uh, He does a tremendous job, and he was right there at Army, Navy, um, you, men- you mentioned being down on the field for the end of this and for the potential game-winning field goal for Navy. In the stadium, looking around as that, as that final field goal was about to be attempted, take me there for that moment because Navy could have won the game on the field goal. They end up missing the field goal. Army wins. What is that moment like to be standing there? Uh, it, it just because it was the final play of the game, the ball hits, it misses right within five feet of where I was standing. I even told the photographer, I told a photographer who I just stood next to for probably three minutes. I said, he's going to miss this field goal to the left. It's going to come right near us. And not to sound like, not to pat myself right. on the back. I just had a gut feeling when those two penalties happened, you know, Malcolm Perry, it's a fourth, was it fourth and 12? 
It was a bad snap. He he takes it. Actually, the play was supposed to go to the right. He improvises, you know, gets the first down to the left. And having been in that moment before when I was right there on the field, really staying almost in the exact same place for the Navy Air Force game when Arion Worthman brought Air Force back and they got the lead late, I didn't think that Navy had it in them because they were out of timeouts. They come down the field throwing the football. That was with Zach Avey at quarterback. But then here comes Malcolm Perry, the performance he had put forward. When he got that first down, I started having a feeling, here we go again. Navy's going to pull this off one more time. But, boy, those two false starts yeah. just so, so crippling, especially trying to push a 48-yard field. It, Mooring's range, and I was talking to one of the beat writers, I mean, he told me that right that 45-48 was really the extent of his range as it was. So it was asking a lot for him to go out back that far in that kind of condition. Last play of the game, Army-Navy mm. game on the line. In the driving snow, you could hardly see the ball in the air, and he just barely misses it. Those just two penalties were a killer, but you know what? It's about mistakes, attention to detail. You just cannot make those mistakes, but you know the core right before the field goal, the core was just buzzing over there. You had the brigade that was that was they were excited, but they were they weren't letting it out because they knew that they were behind. If he misses it, they lose. If they make it, then they can erupt. But the core was buzzing over there. They could feel it. They could taste it. They could sense the CIC trophy coming back for the first time since 96. It was just an electric feeling. You almost forgot about the snow for a few minutes is that ball was in the air. You're watching it try and travel through the air. You finally see it through the snow and the darkness. And then it comes up. Just It was just one of those things I'll never forget, TJ. It obviously sounds like it. And again, what a, what a kick here to get to talk with Price Atkinson about reliving the Army-Navy game uh, and the ending that sees Army win 14-13, back-to-back wins. They hadn't won in almost 15 years in the series. Now they've won in back-to-back years. All right, one more question, then I want to let you plug your podcast um, here for this one. Uh, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. I've never been to this game, but it is just a chilling moment, a, 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 a just a special moment to see these guys battle for three, three and a half hours, Army and Navy, and then they, uh, they join almost figuratively arm in arm for the alma maters at the end and stand uh, almost at attention uh, for each school's alma mater you're down on the field. What is that like? Because, again, you've experienced it numerous times. You experienced it again last Saturday. Most of the yep. audience will never get to be there for something like that. What is that like? Yeah, I stood right next to the Navy team, and then I ran over and stood right next to the uh, to the Black Knights when they sang. i, I got to interrupt you. I'm profoundly jealous of that. I, I'm very what? rarely profoundly – I'm profoundly jealous that you were right there taking the alma mater with both teams. I love it. Keep going. When it comes to it, it's all about, have you ever heard the phrase, sing second? It's all about singing second because the loser of the game always sings first and the, lo- and the winner always sings their alma mater last. And in this case, Army, they sing last. It is, when you mention the respect factor, the way that the teams, they go over and stand. I mean, even with Army, they're just, they're ha- they have to bottle up that excitement for about 90 seconds as Navy Blue and Gold is played because it's a respect factor that both teams have for each other. One obviously knows who won, and the other knows the other lost. But regardless, Navy has to trudge themselves over as soon as the Black Knights, and they know that the loudest beat Navy, the Go Army and beat Navy that you yell at the end of it, in this case for Army, was just going to be deafening. They had to stand there and hear it. But yet they stand, they listen to it, 
they hold their heads high and they show their respect for their brothers who they're going to serve in the mm. battlefield with. No you doubt. just cannot find that in any other rivalry, TJ. It's why I say that there's no other rivalry where you had the entire student body from one school in one corner and the entire student body of the other school in the other corner. You had men and women serving in places, not just around the globe, not around the country, but in all places around the globe, listening, hanging on every play. There's nothing else like it wow. in sport, DJ. It is a rivalry set apart. And let me just say this real quick. The other thing about the game Saturday is we a lot of times we look forward to an Army-Navy game, and sometimes we see one mediocre team or two bad teams. These were two really good teams, yes. and these are two good teams that are going bowling. Navy is going to play in the military bowl against Virginia December 28th, and Army's got a big test against Rashad Penny in San Diego State coming up in the Armed Forces Bowl December 23rd. These are two really pretty good teams, TJ. Navy struggled down the stretch. But nonetheless, both bowl eligible playing in the postseason. I love it. I, I hope you're not mad at me because this is you've done like half of the Army Navy recap podcast for Yards and Stripes on this show on Three Dog <laughs> Thursday. I hope. I mean, you still have got to have some ammunition here, some bullets still left uh, here to fire away on your own podcast. Plug away on what you've got coming up for fans to listen to as part of Yards and Stripes as they want to relive the Army Navy game that you were at. Well, we got We Yards and Stripes, a new episode. It'll be out tomorrow. It'll be out Thursday, as your listeners are hearing Three Dog Thursday here today. So it, it is out now. You can listen to it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, at Yards and Stripes on Twitter, Yards and Stripes on Facebook. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Basically, just going to recap the game here from uh, the, some of the leadership team, COO from USAA, the presenting sponsor of the Army-Navy game. We'll talk with them, but really more importantly than anything else, we just recap the game. You'll hear from players, coaches, mm. uh, the athletic director, Boo Corrigan, who used to work in the office right next to me at the Naval Academy, now the AD at Army. I caught up with him for a few minutes. He said he's going to strap the commander-in-chief trophy on his car, wanted to drive it back to West Point <laughs> that night. We will hear all of that on Yards and Stripes, just recapping what was an epic 14-13 to 13 win by the Black Knights from the Hudson. This guy's a machine, and he's been traveling, and he's half groggy, but he said, when, when, when can I talk Army-Navy? It doesn't matter what time, day, night, he wanted to talk Army-Navy and the renewal of that rivalry. Great I will job. always talk Army-Navy with you, my I friend. Love if it. you want to throw Air Force in, we will do that. Yes, Army-Navy Air Force Service Academy football. It's Yards and Stripes on Radio Influence. The same thing, Yards and Stripes on Apple Podcast, on Google Play, on Stitcher. Check him out on Twitter and Facebook, and he's got a brand-new show up recapping the game from this weekend. Price, it's always a treat to be with you. We're going to talk to you much more uh, as the college football playoff cranks up. You and I are doing work for that. Great job here. Get some rest. Take a breath. Get some sleep. Get a, get a drink of water. Get some rest. Reload. We look forward to hearing the Yards and Stripes podcast recap of Army-Navy. Thank you for a few minutes here on Three Dog Thursday, big man. Love these some doggies. Keep it up, TJ. Fantasy football fans, listen up. Something brand new is here. It's called FanPlayoff.com, and its president and CEO is Rusty Walker. Well, TJ, you know, win or lose, good or bad, your fantasy football season is about to be over with. But for us, the real season, the playoff season, is about to get started. You can now play postseason NFL fantasy football throughout the playoffs absolutely free at FanPlayoff.com. How does FanPlayoff.com work? Get your friends and fellow league members and join either a three, four, or five-team 
postseason league, then draft your roster from the 12 NFL playoff teams just like you do before the regular season. These players will remain on your roster as long as the teams stay alive in the playoffs. Set your lineup each week and score as many points as you can. Whoever scores the most fantasy points at the end of NFL's biggest game is your league champion. And one more time, whyfanplayoff.com? Every play of every postseason game means something, all the way until a champion is crowned. Sign up today, get ready to form your league, draft your team when the regular season ends, and have the most fun you've ever had watching the playoffs. Play free postseason fantasy football like never before at fanplayoff.com. Who are this week's top dogs in pro and college football? We are back on Three Dog Thursday. And we are back in on the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to underdogs. I'll call back in our senior handicapper from VegasInsider.com. He is Mr. Kevin Rogers. Uh, I, I'm just checking. Do you do you have the list? Are you checking it twice? we got Hanukkah going on at the time that we're talking right now for the presents. we got uh, Christmas shopping going on. Kwanzaa, Festivus for the rest of us. Uh, do you have the list? Are you operating without the list on getting the gifts? How is that working? What, what's going on? No, my wife bought a whole bunch of presents for our uh, for our, our baby, and that's it. And basically what we say with the two of us is, you know, we get enough stuff during the year. We don't need another holiday or another excuse to buy more stuff. <laughs> and for anybody wanting yeah, to buy... I money I'm spending. Right. For anybody wanting to buy the Rogers a gift, you have, what is he, about six months old now? He's actually about seven or eight months old no, now. No, he's, he's, he's almost nine months now. Almost now, nine months. So, get yeah. us some clothes. Get us some diapers. Yeah. Get us some of that. And, we, and get us some sleep, too, in the Rogers household. Uh, uh, you know what? That'd be the greatest gift of all. Just give me sleep. I don't <laughs> want anything. I don't need golf clubs. I don't need tools. <laughs> Just give me sleep for like a week, and then we'll, we'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, we might be able to handle that. All right, let's move on to the NFL. Again, I was able to get a couple of underdogs with the Panthers and the Eagles. You had the Panthers with me for last week. Uh, here we go with uh, with week 15, three weekends to go in the NFL. Where do you want to begin on this NFL weekend with an underdog, Kevin? I know they're very ugly, and they've been playing terribly uh, of late, but the Cincinnati Bengals are going to Minnesota to take on the Vikings, and we went against the Vikings last week with taking Carolina. And I don't know if we saw that maybe is Case Keenum getting exposed now. Teddy Bridgewater's waiting in the wings. Minnesota comes home to host Cincinnati. The Bengals, they blew that big lead to Pittsburgh. Then they had a, oh, just a flat effort against Chicago. I guess it had to be expected that the Bengals just were not going to show up for the Bears uh, last Sunday. So now they go to Minnesota. They're getting double digits. Minnesota has laid double digits one time this year. That was in London against Cleveland. We know everyone's beaten Cleveland. But uh, Minnesota, a lot of their covers, they've come as short favorites. Now they're laying a lot of points. You know, the expectations have been raised for the Vikings, and they're not a great offensive team. We know that they're led by their defense. But offensively, I, I feel like they just get by. And when you look at the Bengals, yeah, I get it. They, they've underachieved. I feel like every year is the same story with them. But I think coming off a very embarrassing effort against Chicago at home as a favorite last week, now you're getting 10, 10 and a half points against Minnesota. I think that the Bengals show up this week and they play a lot better. Well, we just talked with Chris Landry from the Landry Football Podcast 
uh, there in the last segment, and he said, hey, is Marvin Lewis maybe on the way out? I mean, they, they certainly in the game last week didn't play like a team that was fighting hard to keep Marvin Lewis around, as bad as they were against a bad Chicago team. But maybe they will. I mean, we have seen them at times. They have shown uh, some explosiveness. I mean, they beat they 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 handled the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, for that Monday night game, uh, and AJ Green was fantastic in, in that game. So we'll see if Cincinnati snaps out of it here in this matchup with Minnesota. And keep in mind now, Minnesota with the door open for them with the injury to Carson Wentz and three weeks to go. The Eagles are a game in front of them for home field advantage in the NFC playoffs, but the door is now open if Minnesota can take advantage, win their games, and get a couple of Eagle losses with Nick Foles as the backup. Maybe it's a chance for the Vikings to sneak in and have home field advantage. Uh, we'll see on that one. I'm going to go. There's a double header of Saturday night games in the NFL, Saturday afternoon and Saturday night uh, in the NFL for this weekend. I'm going to go with the Saturday night later game or late game, Kansas City and the L.A. Chargers at Arrowhead. The Chiefs off the tremendous defensive performance last week against the Raiders. Uh, the Chargers, meanwhile, have been rolling. They were great uh, last week in yet another victory um, at home. Uh, getting the job done. So, uh, look, uh, uh, there's a battle right now for the AFC West division crown. Kansas City still in the mix with three weeks to go. I like the Chiefs here because they've been very good, uh, in particular against the number in home games. They are 4-2 and two going into this game against uh, against the number. They get points at home. Is this the game, Kevin, where Phillip Rivers begins to throw some interceptions like he's prone to do late in the season Kansas City's defense was ball hawking against Carr and company last week. Give me Kansas City in the Saturday night game, getting a point and a half to win the game outright against San Diego. Does San Diego start to falter a bit? What do you think? L.A. Remember? Oh, LA, that's right, L.A. I, for you. I, I do. I, I think I got to go to the penalty box for two minutes uh, there for uh, for the vapor lock. But yeah, I've got I've got uh, San Diego in the brain. The L.A. Chargers. Is that going to change the the location? Going to change Philip Rivers' December's because he's had some December's where he struggled as of late, and they're right in the thick of things. Yeah, and uh, for the Chiefs who were running away with the AFC West, and then looked like they weren't going to go to the playoffs, now beating Oakland last week, kind of getting them back on track. I mean, this is obviously a huge game for both these teams. If the Chiefs can beat the Chargers, all of a sudden now you get that sweep and the tiebreaker, and pretty much now you're back in control of the AFC West. And Phillip Rivers doesn't have great numbers against the Chiefs uh, when these teams played back in September. This was a pretty close game in L.A., and then Kareem Hunt had that long touchdown run to break the game open for Kansas City. But this is a, this is a very big test for the Chargers. You know, they, we've seen them on the road this year go out, win at Oakland. I know the Giants aren't good, but that's still a tough game winning uh, at the Giants earlier this year. They have a couple close losses as well at Denver early on and they hung with New England but this is a this is a very interesting game for the Chargers to see if they can come back and if they can win this game at Arrowhead Stadium on Saturday night they will be the ones they'll be the ones in control of the AFC West so Again, I'm staying away from it, but uh, it should be a very good game. Yep, and again, the L.A. Chargers, thank you, uh, defeating the, the Redskins last week, put themselves in position here to maybe win the division. The, the joke that's been going around is Kareem Hunt had such the great start in September and early October, the only person that could stop Kareem Hunt was Andy Reid. As the play caller and as the head coach, he hasn't done a whole lot since then. Let's see if the Chiefs get it together. All right, so that's my first underdog. You can now go for underdog number two uh, on the weekend. What do you have, Kevin Rogers, in the NFL? 
Oh, you know something? This is a team that uh, I don't think they're a playoff team. They'll probably end up making the playoffs, but you never know. The Tennessee Titans, they're going to San Francisco to face the 49ers. The Titans are staying out west after they lost to Arizona 12-7. I guess the positive you can take out of it is they didn't allow a touchdown to the Cardinals. And Granted, it was Blaine Gabbard out there, a quarterback, but Tennessee's offense just couldn't do much against Arizona. Now, they take on a 49ers team that all of a sudden, you know, they go from redshirting Jimmy Garoppolo to throwing him in there, and you see what kind of talent he has and the massive upgrade at quarterback to whatever San Francisco had before him. And then Garoppolo leads the Niners past the Bears, leads them past the Texans. Not great opponents, but they're still road wins in the NFL, so i got to give him that. But San Francisco now listed as a favorite for the first time this season, and also they are – 0-2, I know it's not a big number, but 0-2 straight up against the spread as a favorite last year. So this is a team that isn't used to this role at all, and now you're expected to do things where Tennessee was laying three at Arizona, now they're a short underdog. I just think that Tennessee defensively, you know, has still played well. They, they really have had, you know, you go back to that Houston game earlier in the year where they got lit up. Uh, early in the season. I know they haven't been great on the road. It's just hard for me to back San Francisco as a favorite in this spot. I think the Titans, that they bounce back and they play well. All right, so he'll take Tennessee, which again is battling Jacksonville for the AFC South. The Jaguars, this is amazing, have turned it around, have won 10 games. Jacksonville right now in prime position um, to uh, to win the AFC South. Uh, they've actually won nine games at 9-4. and four. Uh, they're in prime position here to win the AFC South, a game in front of the Titans. So let's see uh, how it plays out for Tennessee. Those two teams will play each other the final game of the year, New Year's Eve afternoon in Nashville. Will the division title be on the line? Jack, There's still a scenario, Kevin Rogers. We, we're not laughing here, where Jacksonville not only gets a bye, they could still be the one seed. In, in the mix with the Steelers and the Patriots, if Jacksonville wins out, they could potentially uh, be the one seed when it's all said and done with a 12-4 and record on tiebreakers. So let's see. Tennessee could mess that up for them in that final game. Marcus Mariota also a question mark uh, with the injured knee, the injured hamstring midweek. He's expected to play, but he's been battling leg injuries uh, for that matchup. All right, one more underdog, and I will take it in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns. I know you've gone to the Browns a couple of times. Kevin, I believe on Three Dog Thursday, woof, woof, this is the week for the Brownies who played very well, probably shoulda, coulda, woulda, probably should have won that game with Green Bay last week. Led 21-7 to in the second half, led 21-14 late in the game. I know bad teams find a way to give it away and lose. They they, they gave the ball away, got, got the game tied, lost in overtime to Brad Hundley and company, back-to-back wins for the uh, for the Packers in OT. But they got a late-season win at home a year ago against the then, here I go again, San Diego Chargers did Cleveland. They were 0-13 a year ago. They beat the then San Diego Chargers with Phillip Rivers to snap the losing streak and keep the winless season from happening. Now you have the matchup uh, coming here against the Baltimore Ravens, a rematch of a game. They lost a close game earlier in the year to Baltimore. Baltimore off of a very tough loss in Pittsburgh, Kevin. On Sunday night, they blew the lead, and Pittsburgh beat them with the late field goal. Yes, the Ravens need this game for playoff purposes, but I think Cleveland in Week 14 this time as a 13-loss team 
They were 0-14 last year and won a game. They're 0-13. I think they will win this game. I will take the seven points. I'll go with Deshaun Kaiser. I think the Browns put it together. The weather is not going to be miserable. I just saw the extended forecast that it's going to be in the 40s, not terrible uh, for this matchup with Cleveland and Baltimore. Give me the Browns to get their first win of the year. Am I that nuts that the Browns get their first win of the year here at the expense of the playoff hunting Baltimore Ravens? Good luck. That's, That's it. That's you, you know what it is? No, I get I get the Ravens have a letdown after losing to Pittsburgh last week, and I never like backing teams that need to win because that means they're probably going to lose. But like you said, look how many times Cleveland's blown leads this year. I mean, the Green Bay game they had in the bag, and they lose in overtime. I, I It's just like how many times can, can – not you personally, but how many times can you keep going to the well right. with Cleveland saying, this is the week, this is the week. I mean, the, you're right. They find ways to lose. They've won one game – were they oh and third? They're one and twenty eight. Their last twenty nine games. That you want an even bigger one? You want an even? You want even bigger one? Previous coaching staffs. They're four and forty six in the last fifty games. Four and forty six. My God, they have invented ways to lose that consistently. And and again, if they don't get this game at home with the Ravens, they play the last two on the road at the Bears, and then the Steelers will have to win for playoff seating, home field advantage buy in the playoffs, there's a real possibility if Cleveland does not win this game, you're looking at 0-16. The 08, no, the 08 no, Lions no, and the Browns. They'll, they'll win at Chicago. They'll win at Chicago. They'll find a way to win next Chicago's week. You're already a terrible home favorite. You're, you're, so you're going to go ahead and take the Browns for Three Dog Thursday next week, no matter what happens yeah. on Three Dog Thursday. Yeah, I, think that I think Chicago is the game that they'll win. We'll find we'll find out if that's the case, but I mean, again, if they don't win this one at home, the last two are on the road, and they're not. Uh, Pittsburgh is not going to give up that final game at home to Cleveland with everything on the line. You may be looking at zero sixteen again if they don't get this one. Uh, we will find out. All right. So again, you may be listening to this show at various stages, Saturday, Sunday on the weekend. You may already know how we did on some of our games with the bowl games or the Chiefs on Saturday night. But good luck with all of our underdogs. I'll repeat them again here in a moment. Kevin, give me uh, everything that's going on with all the information, the bowl games, the NFL, etc. with VegasInsider.com, sir. Well, the Bowl Central is open for business. Our Bowl Central page, which uh, actually a couple pages, it has the detailed breakdowns of every bowl game, starting with the New Orleans Bowl, going all the way to the end with the Sugar Bowl. Obviously, we don't know who's in the national championship yet, but you can go through all the matchups there and check it out and see whatever research you need to do for any of these bowl games if you want to make some money before you get to the bigger bowls later in December. Obviously, we're coming down the stretch in the NFL, college basketball, getting through the final two weeks of non-conference before conference play is uh, up and going for all these different leagues. And, uh, of course, NBA is cranking along, NHL. So we're very, very busy heading into the holidays, which means a lot of games, which means a lot of opportunities. So you can check us out at VegasInsider.com and also always on Twitter at TwitVI. And follow this man at VI Rogers. You can also follow this show at Three Dog Thursday. Again, Kevin going in the New Mexico Bowl with Marshall, also in the NFL with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Tennessee Titans as his three underdogs. I will go Georgia State for the matchup upcoming in the Cure Bowl in Orlando, Georgia State against Western Kentucky. I've got Kansas City Saturday night. I've got the Cleveland Browns to get that first win 
He's wishing me luck. You didn't do it like in the Liam Neeson uh, Taken movies where the where the bad guy's going, good luck, or whatever. You didn't do it that way. Good luck with the Browns for this weekend. We'll see if they do have some luck uh, against the Baltimore uh, Ravens. Kevin, listen, good luck with the underdogs for this weekend. We appreciate you stopping by. All right, CJ, thank you. There you go. There's Kevin Rogers from VegasInsider.com. Our thanks also to Price Atkinson, the host of the Yards and Stripes podcast, talking Service Academy football in that Army-Navy game and the great season the academies have had. And also Chris Landry, Landry Football Podcast, joining us as well. There are brothers on, uh, on RadioInfluence.com and uh, with everything with the site. Uh, they're at RadioInfluence.com. You can obviously subscribe to their shows, to this show as well, on iTunes, on Stitcher. We love that. Find us there at Three Dog Thursday. Rank the show. Rate the show. We love all of that. Good luck with the underdogs, Kevin Rogers. We thank you for being with us. Enjoy all the football, including the onslaught of the bowl game starting up. We'll be back next week with another edition of Three Dog Thursday. Bye. Chris Landry inviting you to join me for Landry Football Podcast every Tuesday and Thursday. We'll give you the coaching and scouting angle to the college and NFL game. Film breakdowns, scouting reports, X's and O's, the latest inside scoop, coaching search information. We've got it all for you. I'll take my experiences as a coach and a scout and bring it to you, the fan, to give you access to the best football information on the college and pro level. Join us at LandryFootball.com, and remember the Landry Football Podcast right here, as well as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.